again to another evening. As always, I'm Danny, uh, and for this episode, I am joined by the author of what's probably one of my most anticipated reads of this year. Um, I'm so excited for it. Uh, firstly, Greek mythology. I mean, we know I'm obsessed, right? So I'm straight in there. Her name is Costanza Cassati. The book is Clytemnestra. I am so excited. It looks absolutely bloody gorgeous as well. It is like cogging my feed. Like I need an excuse to buy this. It's absolutely stunning. Um, Also, she's probably one of the most glamorous authors I think I've ever seen gracing my feed. Uh, Just going to put that out there. But I cannot wait. Cannot wait to dive into the book with her, chat all about what drew her to this story. Uh, Yeah, and find out all about her novel evening. So a huge hello to Costanza. Hello. How are you Hi. today? I'm so happy to be here. This is so exciting. This is my first ever podcast interview. I it, Oh, that makes me feel all kinds of excited and nervous. I, that's how I'm feeling. Excited and nervous. No, I'm kidding. I'm just excited. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be so much fun. And first and foremost, your book. I mean, I keep seeing it everywhere on Instagram. It's firstly, it's beautiful. I know, right? I'm obsessed with the cover and it sounds kind of arrogant to say it because it's my cover but we worked so hard to get you know the perfect cover because we felt it was really really important to nail the look and I am so so happy with the result honestly it's just and I love that people are loving it so it's just the best feeling ever it's like the proofs were absolutely gorgeous that went out the finished design is gorgeous I don't know if there's different designs for different locations as well yes Yes. The, the UK cover has like a younger version of Clytemnestra hunting and there's a lot of gold I think that's the one that you're talking about yeah. and then the U- the US one I think has a slightly older version of Clytemnestra and it has an interesting concept it looks like a card uh, it's just very very amazing Oh my word. So this is a story that has been told in many different ways, in many different forms. You know, Clytemnestra has been everything from kind of the villain to the heroine. But what drew you to her story? Yeah, that's a great question. So I started studying ancient Greek when I was really, really young. I went to an Italian high school and in Italy, um, high schools differ according to the subjects that you study and the school I went to was called the Liceo and basically uh, it's a high school where classics are compulsory so you start studying ancient Greek language and literature as well as Latin and philosophy when you're like 14 years old so it's very demanding it was very stressful at the time but also kind of rewarding so I became familiar with Clytemnestra very very early on um But then I kind of fell in love with her um, as I was studying English literature, weirdly, (laughs) at university in London. And I remember I was doing this seminar. So I was already familiar with her story. And I was doing the seminar um, and we were studying uh, the Oresteia, which is the trilogy of plays by Aeschylus. And the first play is called the Agamemnon, even though Clytemnest was actually the main character. And during that seminar, we were discussing guilt and punishment. Uh, in the play and the play is all about Clytemnestra murdering her husband Agamemnon as he comes back from the Trojan War and this is what she has been famous for for centuries as you were as you were saying before and I remember one of my classmates said that actually Clytemnestra um, deserved to die that she was you know that she was the bad character that she was the villain 
And I remember thinking, I was just so shocked by this comment because I, I knew her whole story and how she had been traumatized and everything that she went through. And just to give, you know, a little intro to Clarinestra, she she was married to another king before she was married to Agamemnon. Then Agamemnon killed the king to have her for himself. And then, and this is a story that we all know he, it's not a spoiler because, you know, yeah. well, I mean, a lot of people know about her. Uh, Agamemnon then sacrificed Clytemnestra's daughter uh, to sail for, for Troy. So obviously she's a very vengeful character, but also quite a strong and defiant woman. So that's how I became obsessed with her. And then and then I started writing her story. And this was five years ago now, I think I started writing her story. So so yeah, and what you said before um, about, you know, people knowing her as this kind of murderous, adulterous, it's, it's just a fascinating thing for me because uh, it really allowed me to play with this concept in my novel. I was really interested in, how she perceived herself versus how other people, other characters perceived her. Yeah, that's it's actually a big theme in the novel. Uh, it's so interesting because there's so many different ways you can look at her story and so many different aspects to her as a character. I mean, at the moment, there is a real resurgence of you know Greek myths being retold with the women in them. And actually the women are such a huge part in all of the myths. And yet for some reason, it's always the men who have taken kind of the, the foreground, right? How did you kind of approach that? Because obviously the men are a huge part of it, but the women are bigger, right? Absolutely. That's a great question. Yeah. So I think there's been a great resurgence in, you know, uh, feminist retellings, especially of the Greek myth. And what most of these amazing authors are, are doing is giving a voice to women who didn't have one. Um, but in my case, that was, it was slightly different because Clytemnestra had a voice, even in the ancient sources. Um, so for me, it was really about showing contemporary readers that she already was a powerful character, that she already had a voice. And it was about, it was really about writing um, a woman who fought her own wars in a male-dominated world, a woman who, it was not about exploring the consequences that war had on women, but actually how women fought their own wars. That was what I was interested in while I was writing this. Um, and it is true what you're saying. There are so many charming, complex uh, women in the Greek myth. Um, and I think what contemporary authors are doing, especially female authors are doing now when we're rewriting the stories is that we are showing that a myth, a story can exist with men left in the margins too, and that women can be, you know, as heroic, as complex, as flawed. So I think that's the best part of retelling the stories. But honestly, I think myth as a concept already includes the idea of a retelling. Like even if we go back to ancient Greece, um, these people kept, retelling and retelling the same stories from different perspectives every time and every time they did that they kind of shifted the authority so that's something that I think is fascinating that we're kind of paying homage to that it's still part of a tradition that has been going on for centuries that's the next thing I was going to say you know I didn't study kind of the classics or, or ancient Greece but I've I've always had a love for them um, my grandfather was obsessed and had books and books about them so I remember being really young and reading these stories that Probably yeah. were too old for me, uh, but you know, capitated heads and you know, yeah, they're but quite what, brutal. They are. They really are. But I was absolutely fascinated by them. I mean, what do you think it is that calls us back to these myths? Why is it even now we still just love to keep reading them? I think 
whether you, I think my case is slightly weird because obviously I started studying them so young, but as you say, so many people are familiar with them, whether it's, you know, with the Percy Jackson series, which I adore, by the way, or, you know, like films like Troy, which is completely inaccurate, but still (laughs) love it. But they look right. (laughs) I mean, yeah, Brad Pitt, I'm not complaining. Uh, So, you know, um, I think readers love the idea that we're already familiar with the stories and it's the same thing you know when you go back to um a book that has a familiar setting it's like it's like going back to the word of harry potter you know when you watch fantastic bits you already know about that word you already know about that universe but you're exploring it from a different perspective and by you know reading a different perspective by following a different character you see how that character maybe is connected to someone you already knew so i think this kind of it's like being in your comfort zone in a way, but also exploring different storylines. And I think that's the best part. I mean, that's how it is for me. I mean, even if I studied this, um, this maze for, for years now, when I read a book by Natalie Haynes, I discover new things. So it's, it's a joy for me as well. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's the reason why. They're kind of like the original soap operas, aren't they? In some ways, you know, they have everything. They've got betrayal and adultery and they've got family drama and love. And they really have got everything that draws us to media, right? And I love that you said that actually recently my my editor sent me a lovely lovely review and some readers said that my reading my novel felt like watching a soap opera except that the stakes were so much higher because everything I just love that description so much because everything was like in epic scale so every time someone betrayed someone else it ended up in like murder Uh, but it just it (laughs) It really is life or death yeah it is life or death yeah 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 but it still felt like soap opera uh, and it was meant like as a compliment and I love that idea Oh, it's, it's so true. I think that is part of why we love them because they are, they're dirty and visceral, but they're also romantic and beautiful. And they're a real kind of mix, aren't they, of, of everything? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And there are so many fascinating characters. I mean, think about, you know, Odysseus or think about Helen. And what I really enjoyed uh, doing when I was writing my novel was bringing together very famous characters uh, in a way that felt true to the sources, but also kind of fresh. Because yeah. I think that's that's a big challenge as well when you're writing a novel that, you know, follows things and events that people somehow already know. It's how do you make it entertaining? How do you make it fresh? Um, so I think one of the most interesting things about both writing and I hope reading my novel will be, you know, finding all these people and characters that you already know, but seeing them in a different light. Oh, I'm so, so excited. I mean, you're in the throes of publicity right now. The book is like imminent. But are you kind of dabbling in writing a little bit? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I am. <laughs> yes. Okay. I can't really go in, into detail, actually, and um, say what I'm working on. But I am working on a, another feminist uh, myth retelling, but I'm moving away from ancient Greece. Uh, this is all that I can say. And it's I'm writing something that feels even kind of bigger in scale um, using different perspectives. It's it's a very complicated book, but hopefully it will be announced soon. So Ooh, that's to, exciting. Yeah. Even that little that little snippet. As I know, soon that's as I can say from ancient Greece, I'm like, ooh. Yeah, okay. I wish I could say more. Oh, but um, We'll have to keep our eyes peeled. We will absolutely, yeah. I'll be watching now like a hawk waiting for an <laughs> announcement. That's very, very exciting. And now it's got me thinking that for your novel evening, I could be completely wrong, but will there be some sort of 
mythological classical characters coming into play? Kind of. So I've been thinking about this for a long time today. Because <laughs> I was... This assignment, seriously. I know. Like, when I said to you, you're like... I got it felt like an assignment. No, I'm kidding. It's the best assignment ever. But yeah, so I was signing uh, a lot of TPNs, a lot of pages for my um, special editions of my novel. So I was just like, okay, let's think about my novel evening. And so I thought uh, that we could have something kind of creepy and murderous. Um, I know, I know, with a lot of like very charming but dangerous people. Oh, my favorite kind of people. <laughs> I know, right? When they're charming but dangerous. But where are we going to go for this? Where are we going to be for this creepy evening? I thought of um, the country house of Francis from The Secret History Ooh. in New England. Actually, I even have the book here. Because... You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess. I have not read this. However, Ooh. I have heard so many people just rave about it and fall in love with it and the world that's created. And maybe a lot of my friends are people who have studied at university or have studied classics are like, oh my God, it's amazing. It really is amazing. And I think that you will love it if you like charming and dangerous people. And confession time, I actually hadn't read this for a very, very long time. I knew I was going to love it, but I just, I don't know why. I just, maybe I was scared I was going to be disappointed, but then I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, it's so good. And now I've read it like five times. I'm obsessed. Oh. But but yeah, so the this country house is in New England and this is where the main characters go. They are students, they study classics, which I think is quite, it makes sense for tonight. And um, they go to this house, they just get drunk and they, they read ancient Greek and, you know, and then they kind of, murder people uh spoiler <laughs> alert <laughs> i know that's not the best part <laughs> um but i thought it would be kind of the perfect location to have a dinner party and bring a lot of kind of murderous people from other books as well clytemnestra included obviously because she's like obviously Ooh, this is murderer. you're playing with fire with this evening huh yeah also okay. i kind of i kind of like imagine them sitting around a fire and just like planning um I'm not trying to condone murder here. <laughs> let's just let's yeah, we're not pro, we're not pro murder. No, we're not, <laughs> but we're pro mystery and That's intrigue. Right. Yeah. yeah, okay. That's what we're talking about. So I think Clytemnestra would be a great character to have, maybe with her lover Aegisthus, who has a big role in in my yeah. novel. Um, and then I was thinking some uh, other fictional characters, but maybe yeah. more contemporary. So I thought of Amy from Gone Girl, who is. Uh, <gasps> oh you know what that book is the first time I think I've read something and like actually gasped at the twist same I don't think most people have read it but if anyone hasn't and has somehow managed to not see the film and not find out (laughs) reading it is the first time I was like wait what I know I mean when you get halfway through you're just like how how did I not see this coming and it's just insane it seems I'd love to see her up against Clytemnestra I know right I know, right? And really interesting fact, uh, Clytemnestra has been compared to Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones, even though Clytemnestra is a far better person than Cersei will ever be. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Yes, I, I would agree. I can see the comparisons yeah. there. I can definitely see it. But also, yeah, I think she's Clytemnestra is probably a better mother in some ways. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I would say that. Yeah. I would say that. I mean, I was a fan of Cersei when I was reading and watching Game of Thrones, but um, she's not a good person. Whereas I feel like 
as I wrote my novel and when I think of Clytemnestra, I think of her as like a good person who was forced forced to do bad yes. things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you have to think of her that way if you write or read about her because otherwise just the book is not going I to work. I think I agree. She was put into positions where she was forced to make awful choices. Yeah. I feel like Cersei looked for the awful choices. <laughs> yeah, that's going to make them even if there was an alternative. Absolutely. And also another thing that I, I you know, I always say this when I talk about the ancient world or Clytemnestra specifically, um, the ancient Greeks in the Greek heroic age, they had a very different mindset. So vengeance was not like an option for them. It was a must. And also vengeance was the same thing as justice in most cases. So um, those concepts were not, you know, for us, they're opposite concepts, but for them, they were just one. It was one and the same. Yeah. If your father had been killed by, you know, it was as the son, it was your responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. You seek your own justice, right? Absolutely. So I think it's really important to kind of keep that in mind as you, you know, read these stories or think about these stories. Um, Because then it's like, it's less easy to judge characters. Um, Yeah, it's and it's hard not to judge some of the things some of the Greeks got up to, for sure. I mean, (laughs) yes. There are moments, you know, serving up sons and moments you're like, ooh. But yeah, like you say, you have to think in a completely different mindset. And also Game of Thrones, it's kind of a similar kind of deal. Yes. Yes, it's about family. I think it was uh, George Martin was inspired by, um, well, definitely not ancient Greece, but maybe War of the Roses. No, I'm, I'm making. I think, am I making I think War of the War. Yeah, I think that was one of his inspirations. Yeah. You can definitely sense that. Yes. Yes. Cool. Uh, but yeah, no, the comparison also in terms of like themes really works. You know, a lot of political intrigue. Um, but yeah, so Cersei would be another character, and then who else? Did I think. Oh, you know who? Tom Ripley from the talented Mr. Ripley. Wouldn't that work? I, I think that would work so well. He creeps me out so much. <laughs> I know. Well. There's something about, I feel like if you met him in real life, he's the kind of person who for no reason makes all the hair on like your arms stand on end just by saying hello and you don't understand why. Yes, absolutely. And are you, are you thinking about the Mad Demon version or? He captured that so well. He's so yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I don't I know. even know why. You just, as soon as he speaks, you're like, no. I know. <laughs> He's so creepy. Also, I don't like Matt Damon very much, but that's the one film where I'm like, you're really good at being really no, he's really good in that film. I yeah. don't know how the ladies would like, you know, Clytemnestra and Cersei and Amy. I don't think they'd respond to Tom Ripley. Oh, no, they would just, yeah, eliminate him. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, he's going really early on. But he's he's pretty wily, isn't he? I think you yeah. can't underestimate him. Yeah, that's why I thought of him. Because, you know, I think the common, the thing they had in common is they have this kind of thwarted idea of morality and but they're all pretty good at surviving so I think they're survivors right they really are they will crawl out of the gutter to do what they have to do they're not afraid to get dirty right and survive yeah and it's always interesting to read about characters like that I think to kind of have people push to you know their extremes and see what they come up with um they're not even mor- morally gray, right? They're literally like morally charcoal. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of them are not gray at all. <laughs> yeah, no, just immoral. Bad, but absolutely, yeah. And then someone else I thought of, I don't know if you've read um, 
alias Grace by Margaret Margaret. I Atwood. have, yes. Did you enjoy that? I thought it was I thought it was wonderfully. I awesome. really enjoyed it. It was not at all what I was expecting. I picked yeah. it up in a charity shop because I liked the cover. I was quite young when I read it, actually. Yeah. Is that the orange cover? Yeah, the orange, and I really I liked it. And I was like, oh, and as I read it, it's really dark. It is really dark. And it's also kind of, uh, she's such a slippery character. You never know what she's actually thinking, even though it's told in first person. And I thought that was just such a testament to how amazing Atwood is. Um, and I think this is because even in real life, we so like Alias Grace is about this uh, very famous murderers from Canada in like the 1840s, I think. Yeah. Um, but I can't remember the, the exact date, but yeah. So, uh, and in real life, they never found out whether she actually killed um this man and his housekeeper or not and I mean I don't want to give any spoilers away but yeah. the book doesn't really offer any definite answer to that it's really she's a really uh difficult character because even if you even you know you've got a character you say it's from the from their perspective and they're telling the truth the whole time you're like mm. yeah yeah no absolutely but it's I very but again, as you were saying with, you know, Tom Ripley, she's also, I feel like she's also quite creepy and yes. scary. And yeah. I actually think so far out of the characters that you've named, she's the one I have my money on to be standing at the end. Ooh, that's interesting. But then I, I would also have to add uh, like a couple of characters from The Secret History, obviously, because it's, okay. uh, yeah. oh, it's yeah. that in their mention. not to? And yeah. <laughs> just go to their house without them um and I think they would just survive um for like a very long time um mm. there is this character in the secret history um and now I'm just trying to convince you to read it <laughs> um <laughs> so Henry. yeah he's one of I think he's one of the but like he's just so cold as a character so mysterious but so intriguing and I think what I love the most about him is that in the first part of the book, you just hate him. You're just like, this person is horrible. And then you love him. And then you hate him. And then by the end, you just like, just become obsessed with him. And again, like Donna Tart is such a master, you know, mm -hmm. at characterization. And I think he would be a great addition to this table. Oh, Lord. Okay. Oh, this feels just, it feels like this room is going to be really, like, intense. Like, the air is yeah. going to be sucked out of the room. Yeah, yeah. And I you're going to be with all these people, so you're very Do I have to? <laughs> You'll be in a room outside just watching proceedings rather I mean, than in the room. Is the author forced to be? <laughs> it's very intense. I was going to say. I'm not that intense, to be fair. You could, you, would you be able to trust anything you were eating or drinking or? I know, I know. It is it is a very uh, kind of intense, uh, creepy and scary night. But uh, I would just enjoy watching the whole thing unfold rather than, you know, being part of it. <laughs> You'd have some kind of little secret room with little yeah. cameras. You could just watch what's happening. Yeah, that's why you write books. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this is a book waiting to be written, isn't it? With all these people <laughs> in one room. Is that everybody that's coming? I think yes. Yes. And I, yeah. And now you're going to ask me if there's someone I do not want. And yeah, I do not actually, have with the people you've invited, I'm like, I know. Really like. <laughs> I know. I know, right? How can you find someone you do not want? I mean, it's it's hard. Yeah. That's it. 
it's always a tough question but when you've got a room full of really right. dark characters it's <laughs> it even harder who's like your favorite who don't you want to be bumped off who's your favorite character because that's the person you don't want in there if they're at risk of being Ooh, that's a good question well there's so many favorites um some recent ones just to mention a couple amara from the wolf then even though to be fair she could survive in there she is a survivor she i, and a I love i don't know if you've read the second book as well i'm sure you have i cannot wait for the third one but she is the change you see in her and the way she grows is so interesting unreal yeah but maybe felix i wouldn't want him to be there He's just yeah. Felix isn't yeah. No, yeah. He just, I just hate him with all my. I know he's had like a tough past and all of that, but I just I just can't appreciate him at all. I think Elodie has done an amazing job, but he's just I can't forget everything he's done. You know what I mean? And I again, I don't know where he's gonna go in book three. I don't know what's gonna. I don't know what's going to be happening, but it's really interesting as well how she's had sort of, again, without giving spoilers, you've got, you know, Felix and Amara, but they do have some similarities in them. They do. They do. And I think that's how Elodie wanted to write the whole thing to show that they're similar. But then Amara has, she has grown in a way that kind of showed her what it means to be loved. And so she has those hearts right she still has heart, yeah. heart and love and whereas felix yeah that doesn't yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no that's the that's the worst part but yeah maybe felix but yeah i love amara so that's a favorite of mine like a recent favorite i also love uh, a character called lin dayu from a book i read recently called um the four treasures of the sky Ooh. it's really really it's an amazing book it's published by my same publisher penguin michael joseph and it's the story um of this girl who is um she's kind of kidnapped in China and shipped across the ocean and she lives this incredible life she keeps um having to reinvent herself to survive uh so again like another common thing she's a survivor and she uh pretends to be a boy first then she becomes prostitute and then she becomes this kind of man working in a shop in Idaho and she takes all these different identities while trying to outrun her kind of tragic past and uh, it was actually it's fictional like it's a fictional story but it was inspired by something that really happened in Idaho when um five Chinese men were hanged um they were accused wrongly accused of murdering the store owner and the story what I love about this book is that it's so beautifully written like every single word is just perfectly placed it's such a such a and it's a tragic story but there's so much beauty in it and which I think is kind of similar to the wolf then in a way because that's a tragic book but there are so many small wonderful moments of love and tenderness within it that you know it, it just makes the whole it heightens the whole tragedy but also makes it you know I wouldn't say entertaining because a tragedy can't be entertaining, but you know what I mean. It yeah, kind of, it just it, wanna... it raises everything, and it also raises just, the thing. Yeah, you realize that even in the saddest moments, there's still yeah happiness. Yeah, so I think that's those... going straight on my list. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you have to. You, you love it. So those two books have characters they really loved and that I wouldn't want. You know, they need to be a nice party. Those girls deserve a nice party to they be. They do. At, they really do. <laughs> And someone else I wouldn't want there is Helen. 
Helen Cicero, oh. Clytemnestra, because yeah, I mean, I am so obsessed with her. Uh, she's like, obviously she's a main character in my novel as well. Yeah. Um, and I tried to write her in a way that was kind of different from. Well, well, you will see. I don't, I don't want to give. Yeah, any yeah, yeah. I'm excited because Helen is again a character that you hear so much about, and she's portrayed. I mean, like we talked about the film Troy, she's portrayed in that you know one way, and she's either kind of the seductress or she's kind of the ingenue. She's kind of a bit naive. She's in Absolutely. love. There's she's the- an archetype. Yeah, she's an archetype, isn't she? And I think it, I, I always, I've always found so interesting that both Helen and Clytemnestra were Spartan women. So they grew up in yes. a way that was different from, you know, most other female characters from the Greek yeah. myth. Um, obviously, they were not taught to be equal to the men, but almost they, they had the freedom that women yeah. didn't have anywhere else. And those two women ended up being the archetypes of, you know, the bad wife, both of them in different That's ways. so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Helen is, as you say, kind of the uh, seductress and uh, Clytemnestra is just, you know, the adulteress, the murderess. Um, And they're kind of portrayed like that as opposed to their cousin, Penelope, who was also a Spartan woman. So I just always found this. And she's always like the loyal wife who waited. And yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? And also, I guess that's kind of how, again, the myths are passed down through but they're also kind of taken and twisted as propaganda, depending on the time period. And, you know, this is what happens to women who choose their own path. And if you're going to be an adulteress, here's what happens. It's again, it's interesting how they're repurposed and retold. Absolutely. And something that, you know, one of the most interesting things about the myth and the, the ancient sources is that Clytemnestra is, she, I wouldn't say she's loved, but she's respected for the power she holds. Uh, I mean, in the uh, in the Agamemnon by Aeschylus, there is one sentence, and I think Natalie Haynes also talks about this um, in her wonderful book, Pandora's Jar. But there's one sentence in the play when the counselors, the elders of the city of Mycenae, where she's queen, they say, we respect your power, Clytemnestra. And the word they use in ancient Greek is kratos, and that means political power. So they're basically associating that word to to a woman, to Clytemnestra, and that's kind of unseen, you know, in, in, in the ancient world. So, again, she was not necessarily loved, because a woman in power can't be loved. This is something that, again, I love exploring in my writing, but she was respected. And and then afterwards, she was turned into this kind of archetype, this cliche, uh, but it wasn't like that at the beginning, so... So intriguing, isn't it? And that's why I, I truly love it, and it's so fascinating talking to you and, and hearing you talk about it. Because again, she wasn't just someone who was kind of just keeping the seat warm for her husband while he was away. She was acting and she was in power. Absolutely, yeah. And actually, there's another book. I've just started it. It's the last retelling that, I mean, I've read literally all of this feminist retelling except for this one because I knew I was going to love it and I didn't want to read it as I was writing my own novel. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? I don't want to like plagiarize. Oh, well, I may as well give up now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's Ithaca by the wonderful Claire North, who's actually going to, yeah, she's coming to do an event with me during my tour. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. She's, wow. Uh, she's amazing. And so I've just started it, I've read a few chapters, and love how she portrayed Penelope. So cleverly done. Like, I'm just looking at it on my shelf. I read it not I that know. long ago, and I was also like, oh. I know. Penelope, it's a completely different side to the Penelope you usually read. Yes. And I'm thinking about this because you just said that, you know, it's these books are about women who actually ruled. They didn't just sit there waiting for their husbands to come home as, you know, people think of them. 
Um, and I think Claire North did such a wonderful job in kind of highlighting that aspect of Penelope's uh, Penelope's rule. Yeah, because she's always a bit meek, Penelope. When you usually read her, she's kind of just a bit meek. She mm. kind of lives in, you know, Odysseus's shadow. Yeah. She's kind of the wife who got kind of binned off for the witch, you know? Whereas in this, she's got to be canny and clever and... yeah. Yeah, she it's is really a tough funny. time to be a woman, right? Especially like a single woman whose husband could or could not be dead. Yeah, and who has like cheated on you a thousand times, by the way. FYI, <laughs> <laughs> not only has he just not come back and he's left yeah. his son, he's also an adulterer, but that's okay. When you're a Greek man, that's that's yeah, okay. Yeah. That's the norm. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I expect that. It's been what? How many years was it he was away? 20, like, I mean. Yeah. What's he going to do? You know? Yeah, no. But, oh, uh, yeah, you're yeah. gonna absolutely love it. I was gonna ask you what you're currently reading, but obviously, I'm reading, yeah, so I'm reading that and another book. Um, that's a debut that's coming out on the 2nd of March, so um, same date as Clytemnestra, and it's Lady Macbeth by Isabel Schuller. Do you know Isabel? I I have seen the book, I've just started seeing the, the images of it, and I was immediately intrigued. It's again, she's a character that I've not read a great deal of kind of outside of the usual kind of portrayals. Yeah. But it's so rich, real kind of reflections on, you know, the characters you've invited to your evening, really. Yes, she would be a great, uh, yeah, 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 she would be a great guest. Um, But what's interesting is that Isabel and I have been talking because we started talking because so many readers compared our novels on social media and both are kind of obviously. I mean, her novel is an origin story of Lady Macbeth, so very different from the Greek heroic age. But they're both origin stories of kind of brutal queens. Um, Mine isn't necessarily an origin story. You could read it as an origin story of the Agamemnon, that play. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's also like an exploration of most of Clytemnestra's life. Um, But obviously there are a lot of parallels between Clytemnestra and her lady and her Lady Macbeth, I would say, rather than the Lady Macbeth that we know. Um, and it's also a novel, I've only read a few pages, like 40 pages for now, but um, but yeah, so it's a novel that has a lot of political intrigue, a lot of fights, a lot of women fighting as well, which is something that I really enjoy reading and writing yeah. about. Um, so I think you would you would love that one too. Ooh, right, well, you've just added, you've added so many books onto my <laughs> burgeoning list now that I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to go buy those. Um, it's so interesting they're coming out on the same day as well. I think that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's I a know day for these these brutal queens. The day of the brutal queens, yeah, that's how we call it now. <laughs> Lady Macbeth is a character that's very much kind of blamed in a lot of ways for the actions of her husband. Is kind of seen as kind of you know again the seductress you know she tempts him into doing things he wouldn't ordinarily do and I can see there are definitely parallels but I think if you've ever got a queen throughout the ages who steps outside of the norm they're always villainized just a little bit right a hundred percent yes yes and I think that's why it's so important to you know just write and read these books because um if we show women now that you know there were women in power in the past it's kind of changing it really changes the perspective a lot yeah and that's why I love we're now taking you know we said about kind of appropriating these myths and kind of using them and, and viewing them in different ways this is the time for the women to be viewing these myths and to be championing them right yes no I, I love that I absolutely love that oh honestly and I'm so so excited for your novel march is like around the corner i know far away i know don't say it. <laughs> are you like is it real 
<laughs> it feels so unreal. It feels like a dream. Like, honestly, I still remember when I got the call from my agent saying that Penguin was going to publish the book. And I remember I burst into tears and I like my whole family was there and they thought someone had died. They were just like, <laughs> they started crying with me because it was just like, are you OK? And then it took me like 10 minutes say it's fine actually it's good news has died it's good yeah. yeah it's actually really good news um but it's been I mean such a crazy journey and the novel isn't even out yet so I feel like yeah it's been so amazing I mean the novel isn't published yet but reviews have been amazing you know I have so many people reaching out to me saying they're loving the novel and that it just every single message warms my heart like honestly every single review every single it's just insane and I feel like I know I've worked really hard to get here, but it just feels I just feel so blessed, honestly, and so grateful. Um, so I think I will realize what's happening, like probably the date of the the, the of the, the release. day of. Yep, and you're going to walk me. into a shop and hold your book in your yes. hands. It's yes. going to be incredible. It's going to do so so well. I am so excited for it. Uh, if there's you. one thing the book community do well. When we find a book we love, we get it out there. So, and I keep seeing it everywhere I look on my feed. It's there looking beautiful. So I cannot wait to have my copy in my hands. I'm so excited Mm -hmm. and it's going to do amazing. I hope so. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And thank you so, so much for coming to talk to me. This has been. Oh, I loved doing this. I was so excited and it's been such a joy. Oh, thank you. Thank you.